welcome to the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Podcast. I'm Lucia Kelly, expert at applied analysis, and stop bleeping me. And I'm Talia Franks, media critic, fanfic enthusiast, and you're just saying things. And we're here today to talk about The Runaway Bride, the 2006 Christmas special. The Runaway Bride aired on December 25th, 2006. It was written by Russell T. Davies and directed by Euro Slim. Reminder that time isn't a straight line. It can twist into any shape. And as such, this is a fully spoiled podcast. We might bring things in from later in the show, the comics, the books, the audio dramas, or even fan theories and articles. With that out of the way, Lance is poisoning Donna. So let's get in the TARDIS. Ready? Are you ready for the fact that we have a guest today. I know, I'm so excited. Hello. <laughs> Guys, we've got Lark here. We've got Lark from the Gaily Prophet here. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> I'm very excited, personally. <laughs> I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> it's true, literally, it's been months in the making. So it's very exciting that it's finally here. Yay. Yeah, it's been, we've had this in the works for so long and it's finally come to fruition and I'm just so happy. So Lark, tell us about your journey with Doctor Who. Where did it all start and where are you now? Okay, my journey started, time's weird, which I know you know because you make this podcast. At some point, at least 10 years ago, my partner was like, it doesn't make sense that you haven't watched this show, which is weird because he grew up raised by wolves in the middle of nowhere in the woods. And so for him to have seen something that I haven't seen is one in a hundred, but he had only watched the Tenet seasons, I think. And so we watched those and I was like, this is great. And then he was like, and now I want to be done. So we were done. And it was like many, many years before I was like, but what about the rest of it maybe? And Probably four or five years ago, we watched what had been released at that point. And I knew that I liked it, but I didn't really come back around to it until the pandemic started. And since then, I've watched it all the way through at least three times, but many of the episodes at least four times and some even more than that, because it is my emotional support television show. (laughs) And when I am stressed and the world is too much, it is the only thing that I turn to because I'm like, you aren't going to hurt me. I feel safe here Um, up until Capaldi's last season. At that point, I stopped watching and I don't watch any of the Chibnall era because those episodes, like so much TV, is grimdark. And I'm like, this is not what I want in my television. I want it to be for children, which is what Doctor Who is supposed to be anyway. So that's what I've got for you. Weirdly, though, so I was really excited that you asked me to be on this episode because I don't watch this episode when I do my rewatches. It's the only one that I don't watch. And it's because I was talking to a friend of mine and was like, Donna is my least favorite companion. And they were like, why? And I was like, she's so shouty. She's so mean. I hate the way that she treats people. And they were like, I want you to skip her first episode, skip the Christmas episode, and then watch her. And now she's one of my favorite companions. If this isn't my intro to Donna, I love Donna. But in this episode, I really, really don't. 
I was so scared for a second that we were going to have an irreversible schism between us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Donna is my favourite companion. I adore her so much. That's so interesting that I love this episode because of the way Donna is characterised. I'm a huge fan of a well-written, unlikable character, so that probably... (laughs) has something to do with it really I never knew (laughs) (laughs) and that's 100% what Donna is in this episode she's not meant to be especially uh back to back with the sort of sickering sweetness of Rose Donna is a shock to the system and that's exactly what she's brought in for she's this sort of in-between palate cleanser between Rose and Martha there are lots of parallels between Jackie and Donna I'm a huge Jackie advocate, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows. (laughs) But one of the things that continuously frustrate me about the way that Jackie is always portrayed, apart from Love and Monsters, of which I am also an advocate, (laughs) is that she's never taken seriously by the narrative. She's always at the butt of the joke and in a very misogynistic and ageist way and classist way. Totally. She is there to reinforce all of the awful stereotypes about low-income single moms. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Donna is it's almost like they looked at that and decided, no, we're going to treat her with humanity. And so even though this episode, at the core of it, is people just being relentlessly awful to Donna mm-hmm. <laughs> because she's this, you know... Because she is a bit shallow, she is a bit shouty, she is a bit, you know, she's she's hard to handle all in one go. She's also 100% given that space to be human and to be sympathetic and for us to really connect with her and be angry on her behalf for her, about how she's treated. So I think it's a great introduction to Donna, but... <laughs> I don't think I don't think you're going to convince me, but you are welcome to try. (laughs) Also, I'm realizing we skipped right on over the synopsis because we're so excited. We're so excited excited about Lark. I just came in here with my controversial opinions, so it makes sense. But we (laughs) like controversial opinions. Yeah. This whole podcast is controversial opinions. You can let them list. Yeah, we love controversial opinions. Like... Oh, I know. I really love your podcast. I think it's lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to try and let that not go to my head, but we'll see. Yeah, so IMDb synopsis is the doctor is baffled when a young woman is transported onto the TARDIS on her wedding day and attempts to find out how she's connected to an alien plot to destroy Earth. Our synopsis is, this is the one with Donna. I'm so excited. Yeah, so this is the episode with Donna. I realize you're not that excited about Donna being in this episode, Lark, but I'm very excited about this introduction to Donna because I honestly feel like the Donna in Partners in Crime wouldn't feel as developed to me if we didn't have this version of Donna first. That feels true. Yeah, part of her journey and her development 
is owed to the fact that we have this first adventure with her and that she has that space of time to digest away from the doctor and that then we have her season. And one thing that I just love about Donna that I talked about when we did our season two wrap up, one thing that I really love about Donna and about Donna's arc is that even though I hate how she ends and I hate that she loses all of her memories is that she still has so much personality and heart to her that even when she doesn't have the doctor anymore she still is something without him in a way that I feel Rose isn't Mm -hmm. that's something that we had been talking about how Rose is so dependent and everything that Rose is feels founded by the doctor but so much of Donna is internal to herself her development and her journey feels external to her and feel or not external but feels external to the doctor and feels internal to her in a way that Rose wasn't and I feel like it is that sort of refreshing palate cleanser that Lucia was saying. Totally I mean Donna was an adult when she joined the doctor whereas Rose went from her mother to the doctor so there is no Rose outside of the doctor because she's literally a child still no offense 19 year olds but she's still incredibly (laughs) impressionable there was never she never had the opportunity to do that. Yeah I feel what gets lost in a lot of the 10 Rose stuff is that The Doctor is 100% the first big boyfriend. Despite the fact that she was already dating Mickey, which, anyway. But (laughs) the narrative never considered Mickey her boyfriend, actually. So neither did Rose. And that sort of overwhelming, oh my gosh, he's everything. He's my whole universe. Just gets magnified when you put it in this sci-fi context of he's literally showing you the universe and books mm-hmm. and stuff. Totally. But enough about Rose. We're not talking about Rose. We're talking about Donna. <laughs> so here's the thing. The thing that I think is never going to change the way that I feel about this episode, Donna specifically, is that one of the things in media that I have the least space for is when women are written to do things that would be abusive if it was a man doing it because i think it's one of the most insidious ways that the patriarchy exists is that by making it so that donna can scream at people the way that she does the fact that she hits the doctor twice and that's not threatening is that's how it gets in your head that women aren't threats that they can't be don't need to be taken seriously that those things aren't dangerous and i think that's terrible I think it sucks and it's what I hate about like most sitcoms and I don't have space for that. So it's not even necessarily Donna herself, but the way that she's written that I'm like, this is playing into one of the tropes that I think is the worst out there. And so I just am like, I hate this trope. So like, I don't have space for this existing. If Donna's going to grow, I would love it if she was growing from a space that wasn't like, oh, she just like abuses everyone around her and it's funny, haha, because she's not actually threatening because 
just because gender. That's the only reason. Yeah, I was noticing that a lot in this episode too. I was noticing especially how Donna was so aggressive towards Lance in the (laughs) way that she pursued him and that was played for laughs when that was absolutely workplace harassment and there was also that offhand line about Donna being someone in drag that was played for laughs I definitely noticed that the other moment that stood out to me was when Donna went back to the reception and everyone was mad at her and yelling at her. And then she started fake crying and everyone started clapping. That very much stood out to me as being like, oh, this is a white woman who's weaponizing her tears right now. Yeah. And the fact that the doctor approves of it as well, like he has that little back and forth with her and you see him being amused by it, that, yeah. that that's a beat in the actual show. And I'm like, oh. It also yeah. plays into the like, you know, women only cry for attention to emotionally manipulate those around them. Like authentic tears don't even exist. It's just a manipulation tactic, which is Mm -hmm. also terrible. Although I feel like that's juxtaposed pretty well by, you know, after it all comes out with Lance and he's asshole to her and the doctor does that, you know, it's so, he's such a show off the way he's like, oh, just listen to me. I'm going to like, look at me, like twist the little thing and like do it all at the last minute so I can be star of the show. Fuck off. But, (laughs) (laughs) But when they're in the TARDIS just after that moment and, you know, the doctor's well practiced at this point of blocking away his emotions and not thinking about it. And he's doing that this entire episode as well because he's literally just said goodbye to Rose. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, so he's like jumping about, saying molte bene, trying to get us to the birth of the earth. And Donna is just heartbroken. It's not for sure. It's not, she's not looking for attention. She's not even looking for comfort. She's just absolutely heartbroken. And it reminds me actually a lot of an 11th Doctor episode, The Beast Below, where the big thing, the line that always stuck out to me from that episode is when the 11th doctor points out to amy that like if a child is crying silently they've given up that's not for anything that's not for attention that's not a cry for help that's just emotion that's just Mm -hmm. them trying to process something and that's what you've got to look out for that's the moment when it's your responsibility as the protector of the child to protect them and to look after them because that's when they're the most vulnerable. Totally. Um, and that's what's happening there, right? Is so much of Donna is this being loud on purpose because at the core of it, she doesn't think anyone listens to her. And unfortunately, the vast majority of her life, that's actually been proven to be true. No one does listen to her no one does talk to her except to berate her or tell her off or make fun of her or make her feel small and so she makes herself big on purpose and then I just Catherine Tate is such a 
beautiful, gorgeous actress. I love the way that they gave her the space to really show off her dramatic skills. Even in this very first episode where like, you have Catherine Tate on, she's a comedy person. This is her whole, like Donna's persona is very much based on Catherine Tate's comedy persona. And the way that they didn't just completely buy into that and let her show off her incredible skill just makes me so happy. <laughs> Yeah, and it also makes me think of, too, how Donna really holds the doctor accountable, especially at the end of the episode, where he asks her to come with him, and she's like, no, you terrify me. She's like, no, you just, like, made it snow on a whim. Like, you're, like, I can't believe you. She's the first person to ever have the appropriate reaction to the doctor yeah. being like, let's go. And it's like, um, what? <laughs> Under no circumstances, sir. Yeah, no. <laughs> She's just like, you are too much. And she definitely has the appropriate response. And the fact that Donna is able to hold him accountable in that way and able to uphold him back, but able to also recognize, no, you need someone in your life, but I don't have the capacity to be that person is just such a power move. And I just love that for her. I don't like how it's framed in this very kind of, um, and this is a problem with all of the companions, but it very much, it smells of women doing emotional labor for men, which I'm never a fan of. This yeah. idea of you need someone female to look after you and make sure you don't go too far is like, mm, the doctor can actually do that for himself, actually. Yes, you need your support system. And yes, your friends, your companions, everyone around you. We are all always on a journey together with people. And your input and the conversations you have, they're what help you, but you need to do the work yourself. And that's not what Donna's saying. Donna's saying like, you need a warden. You need someone to make sure that you're not going over the edge. And it's like... I think he really might though. He has <laughs> too much power and I don't think it needs to be a woman, but I think that having someone mortal around to be like, you're immortal and all powerful and basically God. So like, just to check in from someone who's none of those things, maybe we could look at this with an outside perspective and assess yeah. it from, from the perspective of someone who will die someday. Yeah, that's definitely how I read it. I read it as Donna saying like, you need not necessarily a woman, just you need someone who has an outside perspective, who has a clear head, who can tell you when you're going too far. I didn't see it as her saying you need someone to like be your emotional, like I don't know the extent to which Donna is aware of the layers of trauma that the doctor has. We were saying just last episode, the doctor needs a therapist bad, but we don't know what therapist would put up with him <laughs> or what therapist he would listen to. But the point is, Donna doesn't have any of that context. So yeah, Donna was just saying, you need someone to hold you accountable. You need someone to be your reality check. I think the show definitely relies on these companions to do some of that 
emotional labor in some ways. It's definitely something that we should keep an eye out for in future episodes when we continue to talk about it. This is just making me want to rewatch Fires with Pompeii for that scene and everything about it. But we're not there yet. We'll get there. Such a good episode, though. <laughs> I might rewatch it after we're done here, just for just for my own sake. Does anyone have any other talking points that they want to bring up? Should we talk about Lance? Should we give him the time of day? Lance bothers me so much. It stresses me out so much because I'm trying to pull together exactly what it is about his and Donna's relationship that bothers me so much but I think part of what it boils down to is that there is so little representation of interracial relationships with black men and white women that I've seen in general and the fact that the black man is preying on her and is abusing her and literally poisoning her and then dies makes me feel very yucky especially when we then speed forward to thinking about the only other time I can think about a black man and a white woman in a relationship in Doctor Who is in Eve of the Daleks is is like really clear in my mind in thinking about how Nick stalks Sarah and we talked about how there are different ways to look at that but it's definitely framed that way for a lot of people and makes a lot of people uncomfortable and so I'm just sensing and seeing a sort of pattern in it bothers me having not watched the episode because i refuse to watch clara and 11 together danny pink oh yeah danny pink oh danny pink and also donna the guy that donna ends up marrying is also black that is true temple yes danny and clara i think i forgot about because it's traumatic as fuck danny is very traumatic and continues to prove my point you're not negating my point. You're just making it worse. <laughs> I know. I just, I didn't want, I didn't want, because I know there are times that I've been listening to a podcast and there's a point that I know that should be brought up. <laughs> and then I'm like, how could you forget? Because <laughs> I like to forget about Danny Pink because he's so traumatic for me. But yes, Danny Pink, in the way he's treated by the doctor in particular, is disgusting and racist and horrible and I hate it. So yeah, it's just continuing a long tradition. And I guess Donna does marry a black man and he doesn't have any speaking lines. Yeah, because his last name is Temple. So it's funny because it's Noble Temple or Temple Noble or whatever. I think that's one of the only things we know about him. Yeah, it's one episode. Yeah, so now I'm just thinking... We've talked before about how Black people aren't treated well in this show or really anywhere. And it's just, again, I just want to say an example of how it's a problem in RTD and people talk about how it's a new problem with Chibnall and it's not. (laughs) I just want to point that out. 
Oh yeah, totally not. <laughs> no, it's been a problem since the first episode of this show. Yeah. And I don't know why, actually, now I'm thinking about Rose and Mickey is, again, an example of a Black man with a white woman that went terribly. Yep. So, yeah, this show has a lot of Black men with white women, and it goes terribly. Every time. Every time. Yeah. Whenever I watch this episode, you, I don't know, when you have all of the characters on your show be white all the time, and then you throw in a black person every once in a while and they're like usually the villain or usually there to create some sort of problem or drama that's a really bad look you can have black folks be your villains if blackness isn't only showing up in your villains like mm -hmm. you need to the big picture needs to be t like taking into account what does this look like and how do you fix it you fix it by having people of color in your main character cast all the time. What are you doing? It's very frustrating. It's ironic that the doctor brings Donna up on not seeing the big picture so often. Mm. How unself-aware the show generally is. Totally. About the big picture. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The only other thing that I wanted to bring up, because it wouldn't quite, I'm not quite sure how I put it into the grading later, is this spider. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> it's the weak point of the episode. It's so bad. It's a Power Rangers monster. <laughs> right? The power, like, like, <laughs> It's so just over the top. I feel bad for the actress because she's giving it her all. Those like... mouth sounds should <laughs> be sent straight to jail. Like no one should ever have to listen to that. And the thing is, it's a great performance for a different show. Exactly like, like for Power Rangers or something similar where that kind of villain fits. Right. I feel like it would be a great villain for the Sarah Jane adventures. Yes. <laughs> also that. Yes. <laughs> I've been rewatching the Sarah Jane adventures and I was like, this would be a great villain for Sarah Jane. Yep. It just doesn't fit with the rest of it. It's no. really bizarre. Like you've got all of this really, it's just at a different maturity level. <laughs> mm -hmm. What are we think of the doctor just killing all of the Ragnos murdering all the babies <laughs> murdering all the Ragnos babies essentially committing genocide right because this is the last of them it's a lot yeah no it's a lot the fact that they even include all those little screams it takes me out every time <laughs> they're like yeah, and also the thing that I caught is that the doctor gives her a chance, but he gives her a chance while she thinks he's Martian. He doesn't reveal the fact that he's from Gallifrey and that he's a Time Lord and that he's actually a threat until after she's already declined and said no. And given her reaction to finding out that he's a Time Lord and discovering his level of threat, she might have taken him up on it, mm. might have backed down if she actually knew what he was capable of. 
yeah no I hated the framing of that the fact that he's like like that the the this is your fault is so outrageously wrong it's such a blatant it's so blatant in putting the responsibility for a horrendous act on someone else when you are 100% behind the steering wheel the doctor could have chosen not to do that it was actually 100% within his power that was his choice that's what he did and to then say like to to then be like to to murder hundreds upon thousands of babies in front of a mother and then say you did this to that same mother <laughs> yep oh my god yeah right pop down there in the tardis relocate them somewhere mm-hmm. where they are not going to do harm yeah stopping her does not mean killing all them yeah, no. Also, a small note, but why did he have to taunt Donna about her lack of pockets? Such a cheap shot. I th- really hate everything about the way everyone treats Donna in this episode. It's really terrible. Also, his note when she's yelling at Lance to like get in the elevator and the doctor looks at Lance and is like to honor and obey and Lance is like, tell me about it. And we're like, LOL, Donna's so terrible. What a terrible harpy. What? No, thank you. (laughs) I'll take none of it. Yeah, no, it makes me so angry. It makes me so angry the way that, I mean, I've already talked about this, but it makes me so angry about how everyone treats Donna. And I'm curious about how much was already planned in advance, whether at this point there were plans to bring Donna back as a permanent companion. Um, From what I read, the answer to that is no. She was supposed to be a one-off. Yeah, because the way her mother in particular treats her is horrendous. It's just so awful, and it's never addressed within this episode. And then even later on, it's just accepted that, yeah, Donna has a terrible mother. Sorry about it. I'd love to think it's put in there to, like, give context for the way that Donna acts but I don't think it is yeah I also thinking about the way Donna is treated I think one of the most genuinely terrifying moments of the episode is when Donna is trapped in the car and can't get out because that could happen to an actual person Mm. is being kidnapped and trapped in a car and like just from Donna's perspective, thinking of her being yanked up from her wedding, trapped in a spaceship, and then she finally escapes from this man that, from her perspective, has kidnapped her from her wedding and taken her to space. Now she's been kidnapped by an evil Santa, is trapped in a car, and the only way she can escape from her new kidnapper is to go with her old kidnapper. Yeah. Who, at this point, she suspects has kidnapped previous women right? Like, is a serial kidnapper. Yeah. I feel like they knew how upsetting that scene was because they did a lot of work to give us, like, comic relief with those kids that are, like, mm-hmm. rooting for Donna to get out of the car, which works. Like, the, it's mm-hmm. great. The kids being like, yeah, like, you did it. But, like, you only put something like that in a scene when you're like, this might actually be a little bit much. <laughs> we might need to tone this down a little bit. I always wonder what parents are doing 
because those kids are yelling. Yeah. They're like very clearly. Yeah, I mean, parents are probably just being like, stop, shut up, you're being too loud, I'm trying to drive. Yeah, but I honestly do genuinely wonder what those parents are thinking. Those parents are probably thinking the kids are playing some kind of game in the back of the car because yeah, kids definitely. often just play games in the back of cars, but seriously. <laughs> the fact that they didn't crash is a miracle. Although I do always love seeing the TARDIS in flight because I wonder how is a box flying? <laughs> like how does it do that not very effectively it's really not what it was designed for it's very clear every time we see it we're like that is a mess this is not <laughs> what you were meant to be doing so favorite and least favorite moments who wants to go first Mark's the guest he should go first okay so I have a like joke favorite and an actual favorite so my silly favorite is the you're the head of human resources and then Lance is yeah and this time it's personnel which is <laughs> incredible <laughs> so good love a pun my real favorite is the doctor is trying to figure out what's up with Donna it's like when they're sitting on the roof and he's scanning her and he's like you're not anything like you're not important and then this whole episode plays out and then several seasons later we get this line from matt smith's doctor where he's like in 900 years of traveling in time and space i've never met anyone who wasn't important before and i feel like this episode is the moment that he learned that lesson where he said out loud to someone you're not important and then was like wow was i wrong holy moly mm -hmm. let me just take that all back because i've learned a big lesson here i love that talia that's a great favorite moment. You didn't say your least favorite moment, though. Oh, I didn't know we did them together. Sorry. My least favorite moment was the, like, transphobia when with the, like, you're fooling no one, mate, and then the way that the doctor looks at Donna of, like, mm. yeah, same, whatever. Like, it's very gross, and I hated it. Yeah, that was also my least favorite moment. My favorite moment? Um... You know, it's kind of funny. I didn't think of a favorite moment. I distinctly remembered that the transphobia was my least favorite moment, but I hadn't actually thought of a specific favorite moment yet. <laughs> I think my favorite moment is probably when they're looking at the earth forming and Donna is seeing that expansiveness and she's still grieving, but she's also seeing this wonder. I don't know. I always like the moments where companions see space, but yeah, I'm sorry. I hadn't actually thought of what my favorite moment was going to be. I just, I don't know. Cause I hadn't seen this episode in years. I just had remembered, Oh, runaway bride, Donna's first episode. I love this episode. And then I watched it again and I was like, I don't actually like this episode very much. I was watching it all like sort of like, mm, no. So because I didn't really like the episode that much, I wasn't really watching out for a favorite moment. <laughs> I was just kind of noticing all the things I disliked and not liking the episode as much as I usually do. But yeah, probably I would say if I had to pick out something now that I'm thinking about it that I did really like about the episode is probably that moment where Donna 
sees space for the first time. My least favorite moment is the confrontation with Lance. I think he's an absolute asshole to her. And it's just terrible the way that he doesn't stop. He's just relentless in it. Donna is mis she's crying <laughs> and miserable and he just keeps going and it's just awful. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. you know, because he never considered her a person and that doesn't mean anything to him. That's gonna be really fun to write on the transcript. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're gonna have so much fun typing that out. <laughs> Brackets mutters indistinctly. Lucia breaks down when considering Donna not being considered a person. <laughs> My favorite moment is the rooftop scene, specifically from the moment when Donna says, God, you're skinny, this wouldn't fit a rat. <laughs> Everything from that moment is when they actually bond and decide to be friends. And it's really sweet. And like the whole biodamper for better or for worse and all that kind of stuff is just really sweet to me. And they're like choosing to be vulnerable and friendly to each other. And it's nice. Mm -hmm. I do like that, but I will say it is the start of something that I do dislike about Tenant's Run, which is the overemphasis on Tenant being skinny which bothers me so much because I don't like when a show comments on a character's body like that, whether or not it's calling them skinny or fat or anything. It just makes me so uncomfortable because that's written into the script. And so that's something that the character is but it's also something that the actor is going to have to live with and I don't know how David Tennant feels about it but I know that being constantly called skinny isn't healthy for a lot of people and like it just makes me very uncomfortable um yeah if everyone could stop commenting on other people's bodies full stop period that'd be great thanks yeah because it follows through in so many Tennant episodes especially the ones with Donna and like all the way through even to the 50th in the interaction between 10 and 11 it happens which um, is like maybe one of the cutest things that's ever happened in this earth i just feel like the joy on matt smith's face to be acting opposite david Tennant is like he he can't act through the joy that he as an actor is actually experiencing and so it's just like showing all over and you're like you're so cute this is so cute i just want to hug both of you right now anyway yeah sorry. no matt smith and david Tennant acting together is just it's so good beautiful. i just it's, love it so much i love it so much i love the 50th i feel like they act off each other so well i really wish that i could have seen christopher eccleston in the 50th anniversary with them i wish he had been in that episode so much it would have no been. <laughs> I know you don't like nine. <laughs> I got nothing. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> the look of disappointment on both of your faces as you're like, it's fine. I've lost all my respect for you, but it's fine. Look, I I'm sorry. He looks like Nicolas Cage. I've got, oops, that's a no for me. That's it. All right. So the hero and the atom. 
I think the atom is fairly obvious. Do y'all agree? I'm guessing that my atom is not who your atom is. So who do you think the atom is? In my mind, the atom is Donna's mom. Anytime she's in an episode, the atom will always be Donna's mom. I think she's trash. <laughs> Lucia? Yeah, here's the thing. My atom is Lance because he's an asshole. But also, it's equally divided between Donna's mom and Lance for me because, which is such a, I feel, I feel like, I feel like my brand is changing. I was such a Jackie advocate. And now, <laughs> and now I'm like, no, this mother, no, not at all. Uh, they are not comparable. She is so mean. She's so awful. I hate her. What's her name? Hang on. Sylvia. Her name is Sylvia. So who's your Adam, Talia? I was actually going to say that it's Sylvia. <laughs> Great. Yay! Then we agree. Sylvia's the worst. Like, I was going to say, the reason I think it's fairly obvious that it's her is because she is the one who is constantly pushing Donna and it's her influence that has pushed Donna to have this kind of personality. And if she hadn't pushed Donna to be the way that she is and is acting in this episode, then Donna never would have ended up with Lance. Yeah, you have to wonder how much of Donna's need to get married, to get out of her parents' house, is influenced by the fact that she lives with her mother. Mm -hmm. And her mother is like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like her like companion trajectory was also really, I think, beneficially changed by the fact that the guy that plays her dad in this episode died before she became the companion. And we end up with the like absolute blessing that is Wilf, who's like, like you just look at him and feel like you're getting a hug. Donna's whole family dynamic, I think, would have been much harder to witness if we still had her dad from this episode when mm-hmm. she's the actual companion yeah no oh, i can't wait for wolf i actually had canon you know when sylvia's on the phone and she's like i don't know where she is she literally vanished go check the house i always had canon that she's talking to wolf oh nice yeah because he's not there but we know he's there mm-hmm. <laughs> what what's the excuse they give he had the flu <laughs> good question yeah, I think that the excuse they give is that he had the flu. Yeah. That he couldn't go because he was sick. Did he really have the flu or did he not approve of Wilds? We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ranking and grading. Ranking. Wait, no, did we, we didn't do here. Donna. Oh, yeah, we didn't Donna. do here. Donna. 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 Obviously, Donna. 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 Donna, 100%. I wonder. Do a ranking when we go to Donna's episodes. How many episodes Donna is the hero? It will be every time, <laughs> except for except for Midnight, because she wasn't really in. <laughs> True. No, she'll be the hero on Midnight as well because she took care of herself and decided to just skip all that mess. And isn't that a heroic action in and of itself? <laughs> Very true. Production. Yay? Nay. Yay? 
Uh, it didn't have any CGI, really, which is a yay for me. Christmas trees. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, the Christmas trees. The Christmas trees. <laughs> Christmas trees. The, the Christmas star. <sighs> okay. Christmas trees, the floating baubles, the spaceship. So that's a point off. The spaceship, I think, was at least partly practical effects. Or at least it didn't look as bad as they sometimes do. Sorry, can we subtract points for how much water they wasted? <laughs> we don't actually know how big that shot was, though. It could have been a sink. <laughs> okay, but no, because they flooded the corridor and that was definitely a real corridor because okay. they've reused it. And they had that whole scene where it was raining on them. And I'm just saying, this episode really made me think, wow, I wonder how many tv shows and movies have just wasted water in places where it is as wet as england it's not really wasting the water though because it's got a functional water cycle it's really if it's filmed in hollywood the water is being wasted because that water came from somewhere else but if your water just does the thing that you learned in elementary school then you can't really waste it okay I'm sure they just dumped it all back in the Thames. <laughs> <laughs> After they drained the Thames. I did also want to say, despite the fact that the character makes me so just takes me out, the actual practical effects and costume design of the spider is fantastic. True. Like, she looks great. She just doesn't yeah. fit. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to give it a full. That's what I had. Yeah, let's give it a four. Yeah. Cool. Writing. Yeah. I felt like I was being generous when I gave it a three, so I could be talked down. You are hovering over a two right now, Lucia? Yeah, that's that was a mistake. No, I think it was correct. <laughs> I feel like it's between two and three. Like, it's a 2.5. That feels good. Okay, let's give it a 2.5. Okay, acting. It's great. Yeah, acting is great. Love the acting. Five. Five. Now the science. Ooh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what are we giving the science grade? Oh, goodness. The science. Okay, so the rules for science is that it has to make sense. That's the one requirement, is that it doesn't necessarily have to be true. It doesn't necessarily have to pay attention to our laws of physics. It just has to make sense. I feel like they closed all of their loops. They like, did close all their loops. If that's the if that's the criteria, then I think that they did a really good job. Everything has a causal effect, then like here's what it follows from. Yeah. If you did a deductive proof, I think it makes sense. I'm not sure that all of the like premises are airtight <laughs> but if you deduct from all the premises it makes sense yeah i'm also pretty sure like the idea of particles of the same kind attracting each other is a thing like mm -hmm. they do tend to want to be together i'm a little skeptical of them wanting to be together across billions of years but i'll be okay with it yeah 
they do like the center of the earth don't they they like the cause of planets being not what we want them to be <laughs> the cause of things say we give it a four because the core of the planet is definitely not housing things that are still alive (laughs) yeah also it's fairly important that it stays hot and molten like (laughs) that's actually a really important thing yeah and I also am slightly confused at how the empress of the Ragnos is alive and not in the center of the earth she teleported back to her spaceship, right? And then they blow up the spaceship. No, but how did she... Why is she not in the center of the Earth? How did she know to dig them up? Why wasn't she buried with them? Oh. Uh, surely that's explained in the episode. I feel like it is, but I can't remember. I don't remember it being explained. And it's something that I wondered about in previous watches. Yeah. I've always wondered about Checking the transcript, but it doesn't seem to be here. I swear she does explain it, though. No, she never explains it. It's not explained. The characterization of the Empress is just also bizarre. Nothing about that spider makes sense. (laughs) No. Um, According to (laughs) TARDIS.Fandom.com, The Empress was the only Ragnos to survive and not hibernate in the Earth's center. Instead, she hid at the edge of the universe for billions of years until Torchwood uncovered the secret heart, the ship her children were in, and developed Huon particles, which she could use to reawaken them. The ship then sent a signal to her web star, which drew her to the Earth. Okay. So, science is a four? Four. I think it's a four. Yep. Rewatchability. Well, we know... Lark's rewatchability is <laughs> low. One. I'd give it a two. Yeah. So 1.5, to be fair. <laughs> well, there's two of you, so I don't think my vote should count for half. I want to give the rewatchability a two because vibes. It, it does have a two vibe about it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this isn't looking good. At least we haven't got any ones today. Or zeros. That's what I'm possible. 70%, which is C minus. Oof. I feel that might be better than any opening episode so far, but I might be wrong. Honestly, that might be. I mean, it was way better than Christmas Invasion. Christmas Invasion got an F. (laughs) Christmas Invasion was a solid F. Markable step forward in Christmas specials. (sighs) All right. So we say goodbye to Donna for another season until she comes back to us. And hello to Martha because Martha's coming. I'm so happy and excited. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Lark. It was so fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was delightful. Where can the people find you if they want more luck in their life, which everyone should? Uh, yes, I agree. So I <laughs> host a Harry Potter podcast called The Gaily Prophet. 
and a Simon Snow podcast called Escape from Reality, which is spelled E-S-G-A-Y-P-E from reality. And then We Are the Gayers, which is a Patreon-only podcast that I make with my co-host Jesse, who hopefully you'll hear on this podcast at some point. We make that about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and speaking into existence, something that at the time of recording hasn't happened yet, but at the time that this comes out, hopefully will have. I also just kickstarted a tarot deck and it's real rad. Uh, It's called Under the Bed Tarot and you should totally check it out. Yeah, probably the best place to find all of the things is going to be at hashtag ruthless.com, which is the quote unquote production company that makes all of our podcasts and is really just me and Jesse. (laughs) You and Jesse are great. Thank you. Yeah, our podcasts are on all the platforms. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at The Gaily Prophet. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. And hopefully we'll see you around. This has been lovely. Heck yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And speaking also of Patreons, we now have a Patreon. Woohoo. I know. It's ah. Yeah. So if you want to support Wibbly Wobbly, you can go to patreon.com slash wibblypod. We'll put the link in the description. There's going to be all kinds of fun stuff and special features. So if you want more Wibbly in your life, that's the place to go. Bye-bye. See you for Martha. See you for Martha. Hello everyone, this is Talia and Lark from the future. We recorded that episode so many months ago, I don't even remember what month it was. Lark has a bunch of new projects to talk about, so we're doing a sneaky little additional thing to this episode. Lark, why don't you say the things that are coming up? Or yeah, up? sure. <laughs> okay, we recently, this summer, made an entire podcast about our flag means death called the gay pirate podcast and it was the funnest summer break ever it was like being at podcast pirate summer camp and then also as of when this comes out the tarot deck that i kick-started two months after we recorded the episode will physically exist in the world then people will be able to like order it and have it sent to them without a like 10 month waiting period so that's really exciting it's called under the bed tarot and it's monsters and it's gender free and it's beginner friendly and i'm really proud of it and that's available in the hashtag ruthless shop so yeah that's all my things yeah it's all very exciting things i am very excited by everything that y'all do and also they post really great memes on all their social profiles so do you want, do you want to you. share your ads? Yes. Links and everything. So we are on Instagram and Twitter at the Gaily Prophet. And our website is hashtag ruthless.com. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Gaily Prophet. Our podcasts are up all of the places that podcasts go. Yeah. And you should listen to all the podcasts. They're really funny. They're really fun. And yeah, so... Thank you again for being on. Sorry, Lucia couldn't be on this little uh, edition. I checked and it's 4 a.m. for her right now. So she's sleeping. (laughs) That's pretty reasonable. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to 
make sure that the most up-to-date information was available for your yeah. listeners. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey podcast. We hope you enjoyed this adventure with us through space and time. You can find us elsewhere on the internet on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at WibblyPod. Follow us for more Wibbly Wobbly content. You can find out more information about us and our content on wibblywobblytimeywimey.net and full transcripts for episodes at wibblywobblytimeywimey.net slash transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can also send us an email at wibblywobblytimeywimeypod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and other platforms as it helps other people find us and our content. If you'd like to support us, you can send us a donation at paypal.me slash wibblypod. Special thanks to our editor, Dee, who has been a vital member of the Wibbly Wobbly team. That's all for now. Catch you in the time vortex.